Uh, of course, you, as you know, five years ago, guys used to have to sneak to the Legion Hall to see him at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, with short cigars, and they'd have to go there with their hat pulled down over their eyes. You know, slobs, Jonas, all of them, every one. And, and they went there. They were digging that before you were, man. And uh, it's a very different world. Now, now uh, a movie house down in the village just had, a couple of nights ago, a complete showing of uh, a whole night of stag films. Real stag films. I'm not kidding you. And, of course, they had to make you, you give the usual intellectualization of a non-intellectual pursuit. It's an art, and uh, it's a man pursuing the ultimate beauty and a few other things. It's pretty interesting. I don't know whether you've ever seen any of those, but... Uh, they, they did. They had it. They had the stag film down there, and they have discovered it. Well, now I, I hate to tell you guys that that was discovered a long time ago. I, I, I'll never forget the time they rounded up a whole bunch of guys <laughs> when I was a kid. You know, uh, I'll never forget this because down at the end of the street there was a bingo game going on. Uh, speaking of bingo, this is W O R A M and F M New York, and uh, we're in New York. Funny thing, you think. I, you think w well, this is W.O.R., but I'm a kid, you see, and, and there were a bunch of us kids down there. And uh, they were having a, a thing in the basement of a barber shop a couple of blocks away. And it was billed as a social. And it was, a, it was billed as a social, and yes, this was on the south side of Chicago. They had a big sign in the window that says, it says, Social and Smoker. It Saturday night. Now, you know, a smoker, this sounds kind of, it's good guys sit around and smoke, and they're sociable, and they talk to each other. It's in the basement there under the barber shop, and uh, there were big signs all around, social and smoker. Well, I heard my father talking about, he wanted to go down to the sea, he wanted to go to the social and smoker. And my old lady, my mother, excuse me, madam, my mother says in the pig's ear, she says, you are not going down there. And, and uh, I didn't know quite what, what, you know, why it was. I'm just telling you a true story. I could not figure out why my mother didn't want my father to go to the social and smoker. She says, I am not going to have you busted. Well, that was the word they didn't use then, but she, uh, she used the word at that time, you know. And uh, there was a lot of talk about the social and the smoker, and they kept having big signs around about it. And Saturday night came, and, of course, the kids weren't too much interested because it was for the social and the smoker set. And about, oh, I'd say it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, there was a lot of sirens and stuff going past. It was funny. You could hear the sirens. And you know how in a, in a quiet neighborhood, when the sirens go right down the street, you wake up and you look out. And especially when you hear them stop, you know, doing, doing, doing. They're down at the end of the street. They're ringing. And everybody is out on the front porch. And the paddy wagon is now parked in front of the barber shop. And all the smokers are coming out. They all have cigars in their mouths. And you can see the smoke pouring out, you know, where they've been smoking. And, you know, you can see their jaws are tired from talking. They've been sociable. And they're loading all these guys among them, Mr. Bruner. They're putting, throwing Bruner by the seat of the pants. They throw Bruner in because he's bagged. They throw him right into the thing there. And, and Mrs. Bruner's out there yelling. Hit, I remember she was hitting a cop on the back. She was trying to get Bruner out of it. She was, she was trying to get him off on the ground that he was drunk and didn't know what he was doing. And, and uh, she, she kept saying, well, he was drunk. He, he didn't really enjoy the picture. And, and, and so she's hitting, she's hitting him on the back, and the, and the cop says, get out of my way, lady. And he throws old Bruner into the, into the jug there. And they were all putting him in, including the barber, by the way, who cut my hair every couple of months. 
Uh, yeah, Ray the barber was thrown in. Uh, there were two or three guys. You know, I was at that time I was going to Sunday school. There were two or three guys who uh, were working down at Sunday school. One of them I knew. I he played the organ or something down there. A lot of stuff. Anyway, all the guys from the neighborhood were being thrown into the jug. Yeah, and they were putting them in the paddy wagon. It was a very embarrassing moment. All except my father, uh, who, who had been mad all night because he was not a smoker, and my Aunt Min came over instead. And he was sulking, you see, sitting next to the Crosley. But now, of course, he was out on the porch yelling and hollering and cheering him on because he was all for that paddy wagon now, you know. And they're loading these guys in. Well... Uh, the point being that I kept hearing them say they were talking about movies. Well, I could not understand why a guy would get arrested for watching a movie. You know, to me, the movies meant uh, Tarzan and the apes, you know. Uh, it, meant, it meant, you know, people in the movies. It meant, more, uh, it meant uh, Oberon, Merle Oberon with the eyeballs and all that. And I, I, I could not imagine, and, and uh, another thing, I couldn't imagine why they were showing movies in the basement of the barbershop. You know, that's a new movie house there. And they threw these guys in, and of course the kids are all walking around buzzing. You know, the whole, the whole neighborhood. Of course, they, they let them out about an hour and a half later. All these guys came back looking very sheepish. You could see them walking past the house, not with each other, but very singularly and very quietly walking past the house with their hat pulled down. And uh, Mr. Bruner came home. I don't know what they gave him down. That was one of the very rare times I've ever seen him sober. He came home absolutely sober. It's funny when he got sober, he got to be a very different man. He, he was taller. Uh, he was taller, and he was angry. Well, Bruner came home, and I hear a lot of yelling next door. A lot of yelling and hollering and people knocking pots over oh, all the time, yelling and hollering all the way in about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And by 5, Bruner was bagged again. He found the vanilla. And, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> he was uh, apparently he was telling her, this is what happens when I get sober. I wind up in jail. So, so uh, Bruner, Bruner, uh, Bruner settled it all by 5, but... The thing that was interesting to all of us the next day, the word was out, you know. Of course, all the kids were out there talking about the paddy wagon down at the end of the street. And the word was out that these guys had gotten thrown in the can for watching a movie. Well, naturally, the kids wanted to see that movie. That was a great flick. And uh, there was a lot of talk about seeing that movie. And uh, everybody was all excited about it. The kids could not, and we could understand, you know, there was a certain, uh, a certain amount of illegality with seeing a movie anyway on Saturday afternoon in the Orpheum, since usually most kids stayed through nine shows, pretending they were a new kid each time it went around, you know, so that they wouldn't get thrown out. And we kept thinking of things like that, you know, like they must have made noise in the movie. Uh, you know, because kids got in trouble making noise in movies, and they must have had a fight down there, or, or uh, somebody must have been eating candy loud. Or something like that. Somebody was throwing stuff at the screen. We could not imagine that what was on the screen was what caused them to go into the can. Well, uh, three years later, I found out what that movie was all about. I, I, it was one of the dullest movies I've ever seen. For any of you who've never seen one, they're terrible. Much, they're very overrated. They're very dull. The continuity is duller. It's, it's awful. If you think some TV shows got bad writing, oh boy. Wowie. As a matter of fact, now I know where many, many of the TV writers got their early training. It's a terrible continuity, very basic plot line, and uh, the emotions are very unsubtle. There's not much emotion there. And what, what it is, it's, it's uh, very unsubtle. And the photography is usually pretty bad. Now, now, now Jonas, you, you probably believe that it's because these guys want Well, the reason that the photography is bad is because they have to shoot them on the run, you know, usually you, you, you notice they jiggle a lot. Well, that's because there's heavy feet coming up the front steps where these guys are shooting the film there. 
and they've got to get it out the back door or, or through the basement window fast so they can shoot the next scene two blocks away, you know, that other pad. But uh, they're dull films, terrible dull, and uh, now they have become art, very much so. So you can be assured now that I suspect that the next medium that's going to become very hip among the avant-garde makes you wonder what the avant-garde is. I mean, if they're just discovering stag films now, boy, when I think of how, how far ahead of its time my neighborhood was, and the American Legion, all those joints, <laughs> they were way out there ahead of it. And, and uh, <laughs> have you noticed, too, that, that for a long time the slobs have been digging the cover of, uh, say, G8 and his battle aces? Now it's become pop art. The, have you seen any pop art? You know, the G8 and the Battle Island, they have Captain Marvel. Now it's a very fine painting of Captain Marvel. I saw that one. Very good. I remember when I first saw it on the Captain Marvel comic book. I was nine. I thought it was good then, too. So uh, now, yeah. Oh, and another, another big, yeah, another big thing that, that the hippies are digging, too, is kid food. Kid food now. Uh, well, one of the big things among the among the very avant-garde is uh, the fudge sickle. The fudge sickle as the main entree, uh, followed by a glass of lukewarm Ovaltine and chased by a Coke and possibly a, a Milky Way candy bar. That's very in type. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm not I'm not putting you on. I am not putting you on. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Uh, who do you think is digging all the rotten stuff on television? The hippies. They're the ones that are out there watching those terrible... Of course, I think it's because they went for so many years not seeing Westerns that they have just discovered them. They think that this is a great new art form. <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, they, they, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, why, for crying out loud, the most... Uh, look, at, look at folk music now. There's another thing. I remember when only yokels and hillbillies dug folk music. That's the truth. That's the truth. In fact, there's even a phrase. Now, now they don't allow a yokel or a hillbilly into a folk music concert. Absolutely. Just as I suspect that they, they, they're going to start keeping the baseball fans out of Met Stadium, they're out of the Shea Stadium. They're not going to let ball fans in there. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you don't think for a minute that, they, that the real stag film fans are allowed in these stag film showings down in these theaters down in Austin. Very different crew now, but it's the same film. I mean, same film. It's the same game they're playing, and pool is pool. Pool is pool. I, I, oh, I'd love to see in one of these new fancy places, you know, the Billiard Club Inc. I'd like to see an old-time sharp pool shark show up. You know, the guy with the, you know, the guy. Cue, you know. Oh, he snaps that cue. You can always tell by the way their wrist action is when they just try the the, the temper of a cue. You know, it's very good. either that or he comes in carrying it in his hand in a leather case. Be careful, friends. If you're if you're if you if you're if you're playing it at the new billiard clubs in Inc., be careful. There's some guys there who know how to play that game, and they learned in a pool room. A very different kind of a place, but it's the same game. I might point out that it's the same game. The stag films are the same things that they saw then. And, and uh, I, I'm sorry, all of you guys who are digging the new, the new way. Uh, this, this is a new kind of anti-intellectualism, of course, that's sweeping America. When the anti-intellectual begins to parade, parade as the intellectual, when the anti-art parades as the art, be careful, we're in for hard times. Very hard times. Uh, when stag films parade as art, that's uh, that's a that's a time to watch. Now I'm talking about sociologically here. I'm not 
I'm not being... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, because the first thing you know, if you ever bring a, a note of logic into any of these proceedings, you're automatically put down as unhip. Very unhip. Yeah, out. Out. Get out of here. What do you mean, get out? Out. Out. Rousement. Uh, and there's a there, so so I I'm with you fellows. I'm going down. I'm going to enjoy them too. I'm just not going to be fooled because uh, I saw those films before. And uh, I, I'm with you. I'll go and play pool at the billiard club, Inc. And any of you want to play a friendly game, I'm willing to take you on. But remember, I live at the pool room, so I'm willing to play a few fast fast racks there with you. You'd be surprised. I learned it under a master. I'll, I, I'll never forget my old man. My father was a... Did I ever tell you about the fact that my father, at one point in his early days, uh, when he was a kid, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know whether I've ever mentioned this, but he is mentioned in uh, and, and is one of the characters in a book by James T. Farrell. For those of you who are interested in literary, uh, literary references, Yes, he is. In fact, it's the truth. He is not Stud Lonigan, however. Uh, my father grew up in the same neighborhood with Farrell on the south side of Chicago at the same time. And all the guys in the book he knew intimately. And that's, uh, yes, I'm talking about the Stud Lonigan trilogy. And it's not, uh, it's realism he's reporting there. That was a very tough world and a tough neighborhood. And you either became one of the t one of the gang in that area. You either became one of the gang, literally, or you left. No in between uh, to the Shanty Irish and a crowd who lived in that area along uh, 55th and Union on the south side of Chicago. And you learn how to live, as if you know your Stuck Monaghan well, you learn how to live very much off the street. And my old man lived for a long time as a kid playing pool. Uh, he was a pool shark, but he was a kid pool shark, which is the worst kind, because they always look like they can't play the game. Uh, he was a skinny kid pool shark, too, and uh, he never lost it. Uh, once, once, you, once you have stood next to a brass spittoon, once you have racked him up at 4 o'clock in the morning for the rent money, uh, once you've done this, you never quite outgrow it. And the old man was always that way, even years later after he had comparatively made it. And he was, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a father type, and he had a car and all that stuff. It was funny. When you'd go to the bowling alley to play in a bowl, bowling is for kids. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a pool room game. Bowling is a game that, uh, that they never heard from in the Studs Lonigan world. And we would go, go playing, we would go uh, bowling, you know, and he's, he's a, an ace bowler. So all, uh, yeah, there's something about the atmosphere of that kind of game, pool, bowling, that makes a master in all of them. Uh, I never saw a pool player who didn't play a pretty good game the, on the alleys. And uh, conversely, I never saw a really good bowler who wasn't pretty fair man around the stick. Uh, oh, yes. Now, now uh, you can always separate the real pool players from the kids by the kind of game they play. Slop, Chicago, rotation, all different types of games. Then, then when you get up into the really, really good ones, and they, 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 uh, they'll rack up a, a snooker game, you know, with the red balls. Then you know you're dealing with. You better be careful. Keep your hand on your wallet. Now this guy will not reach in and pull your wallet out. He'll merely, he'll merely do such fantastic things with that cue that you'll think it's, uh, it's done with mirrors or something. 
Well, the old man used to do this once in a while because he couldn't help it. I remember one night we went into the bowling alley. It was a very funny thing. Very fancy bowling alley on the south side. Now, this was years after the old man retired from the pool room scene. And he was bowling. You know, he was a Wednesday and Friday night type bowler. You know, really bowling, though. Really in the, in the Windy City League, as a matter of fact, which was a pretty fast bowling league before they just, you know, TV hadn't come out, come out yet with the bowling. And he bowled. He was always going to the ABC tournaments and all that stuff. Well, we went to this big bowling alley. What a, what a very embarrassing moment for me, really. Also, I might point out that it was a very, one of those rare moments when you felt genuine pride in your old man. He had an accomplishment that I never knew. And so we're at this big bowling alley on 71st Street, which is way on the south side of Chicago. It's Ray Shock's bowling alley, actually. 71st and Jeffrey, in case you're interested in the locale. And Ray Shock was one of the ball players who was on the White Sox, the Black Sox of 1919. In fact, he was one of the one of the guys. He was a catcher who uh, is in the Hall of Fame. Great catcher who fought like tooth and nail in that series. And had no idea that the games were being thrown and was a hero. Did you know that one of the great heroes recently died? One of the great heroes of the White Sox, a, a, a pitcher who won, in spite of the fact that his team was throwing the games behind him, won two games in that World Series. And he was the guy that encouraged Stan Musial, and Stan Musial credits this guy for him becoming a major league ball player. He was a, a minor league manager years later, and he kept Musial in the, in the, in the game and made him into a, an outfielder and a hitter. And Musial, uh, as the, you know, a great ball player, Wow. Well, Musio, in, in uh, sort of uh, gratitude, although it's more than that, gave this guy a house, and he lived out his life in this house down in Texas. You ever hear about him? This man, Dickie Kerr, was his name. Well, these were all household heroes. When I was at my old man talked about these guys incessantly, Dickie Kerr and uh, Joe Jackson and one thing and another. And he grew up on the south side of Chicago. Huh? I can't hear you. Uh, Shoeless Joe, well, Shoeless Joe was not so much, as much of a hero as, as now they have made him out to be, according to real White Sox fans. He was a great ball player. But Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, although a, a great colorful ball player, was also in the company of some other great ball players on that team, like, uh, Ray Shawk, for one. Uh, Buck Weaver was probably the most colorful guy on that team, the third baseman. And, uh... So this was the, the world that the old man lived in. Ray Shock had this big bowling alley on there, and a big fancy bowling alley. And Ray Shock was a wild, uh, a tough, fighting, fanatical catcher. He really was. He was he was a, a really fighting catcher. And so Shock had a bowling alley. And and my father always liked to go down there because he he would uh, you know he'd like to be in the presence of the greats. Ray Shock would be around this bowling alley, and, and uh, we would go down and just bowl. Well, one night, on a hot night in August, it was a real hot night. Uh, uh, I'm a kid. I'm about 10 years old. I'm down there bowling. You know, the old man takes me down bowling in the summer when uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't think of bowling with me during the league he did days. You know, when they're really hot and heavy, and they're bowling and yelling and hollering. And and in the summertime, he'll take the kid down. Well, we went down. My, me and my brother down there bowling and. And the back of the bowling alley, or actually in the front of the bowling alley, they had about 25 pool tables of varying sizes, shapes, and condition. Now, we always just walked past those, those tables, you 
you know. We never we never went there. We always went up to the counter, you know, where you get the shoes, and uh, you sit around for a couple of minutes, and the guy says, take Alley 9. And that's about all we ever did. And uh, they had a little bar there where they had Coke and, and knee-high orange and stuff. And so that was about all I ever knew about that end, except I'd see those shadowy guys back there wearing uh, straw hats and stuff, you know, and you see those lights hanging down, you see a lot of smoke back in that part of the part of the bowling alley, and you'd hear a lot of clicking, and you'd see those tables, and that was about it. It was a very mysterious part of the, of the place, but not really part of the place, as far as we were concerned. Well, one night, we uh, were, were down there, and there was me and my brother and my father and Uncle Al. He always got Uncle Al to bowl because he, he hated to bowl with kids. You know, anybody who, who, who really likes to play a game hates to play it with somebody who can't play the game. You don't have any idea how it bugs the Dodgers to play the Mets. I'll tell you. I mean, it's really depressing. I, I was watching. I was watching uh, uh, Leo DeRocher. Wasn't even watching the game. Did you see DeRocher sitting on the dugout there and he's chewing and he's looking up at the stands. Waving at guys back, and all the while a mess are out there, sweating it out. And then once in a while, pow! You hear somebody belt one. One of the Dodgers is up there, you know. Uh, uh, Willie Davis catches a hold of one, and and he just sort of glances over his shoulder. Garosher, uh, uh, he doesn't even. Look, he just sort of glances over his shoulder, goes back to chewing the fat, and all the guys in the, in the Dodger dugout are and, and it's just like you know, it's like well, we've got to stay a couple of days here. And uh, gee whiz, wow! It's like the fat guys and the skinny guys, and uh, you know they're playing they're playing that kind of a thing, and they they really can't take it seriously. And did you notice? Did you notice Kofax? If you're interested in that sort of thing, Kofax, you see, was was the perfect. I, I was sitting right back of home plate. You know, that's the only place to see a ball game, really. And and Kofax, Kofax was so cool. He was so much in control. It was one of the few times that I have seen a ball player, a pitcher really laughing it up on the mound. He really did. I'm just going to tell you, you didn't see this on television, but here's what Kofax did. See, Kofax, he, he, he's got, he's got two, two uh, I think he had two strikes on the hitter and a ball, and he's getting his sign, and Roseboro's giving his sign. Kofax sort of walks around a little bit. Boy, oh, what a pitcher. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I really realize this guy, this guy, uh, he's no fluke. And Koufax walks around a little bit on the mound, then he looks down there, and he winds up, and he, he lets it go. Well, the ball got away from him a little bit, just a little high, and inside, it shot up there, and it was a ball. Well, Koufax is standing there with his arm down, and he just, he just lets her go, and he's standing there, and he looks down at Roseburg, and he starts to laugh. And, and the, of course, everybody's serious, serious. The, the Met batter is digging in up there, you know. And, 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 and uh, all, those, all those 138 hitters are waiting to get up there to swing at Kofax. And, and Kofax, he just sort of laughs. And, and the umpire laughs. And Kofax laughs. Everybody laughed but Joe Christopher. One <laughs> of our real 192 flashes. See? So, so uh, uh, he, he walked around a little bit up there and... And then a couple of innings later, he's up at bat. That was great. Yeah. No, it wasn't Hunt he was playing with. No, it was not Hunt at all. Oh, yeah. Well, a home run. He hit one. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hunt got a home run. Well, that, was, that, that saved the whole game for the Met fans. Saved the whole game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. You know, that's, that's like the guy... That's like it's so funny to, to watch to watch guys in track 
the guy that will lead the the uh, the quarter mile relay, the, the quarter mile uh, run, or say say the mile. You see him run the mile. The guy that will lead for the first thirty feet <laughs> comes in. He says, "Well, that was, I, I wasn't always behind." <laughs> but but Kofax was a beauty to watch. And and I, I one one thing about, I liked about Kofax. Kofax comes up to bat, you know, and, and there's two guys on. Uh, and, and so the Mets are really bearing down. You know, they walk a guy. I think they walked a guy to get a Kofax or something. Of course, Kofax is is a is a is a hitting. Uh, he's a pitcher who's a, a pitcher type hitter. You know what I mean? So so Kofax is standing up there, and the pitcher is getting his sign. You know, the the, the Met pitcher, and, and he's very serious. You know, the Met pitcher's like really serious, like he's facing Maris, You know, or something. And Kofax is standing up there with his bat. And he wiggles a little bit, you know, and he puts the bat down, walks around, and he gets up the pulls with his hat. And that, then the pitcher, who was it? Let's see, it was, uh, wasn't Craig, no. Stallard, yes, yeah, Stallard was playing it for keeps, you see. And he winds up and he lets fly with a pitch. I'm telling you, it was the kind of pitch that he should be proud to throw at Mickey Mantle, you know. Shoom! It goes past that. And, and, uh, and, and Kofax takes a swing at it, and he turns around, he laughs, <laughs> and, he, and he says something to he says something to uh, to the, the Met catcher. He says something to to Coleman, and you can see Coleman down another playing the game. He takes another swing and he laughs. He says something to the umpire, and then the guy throws another one and he strikes out. And he laughs, tosses his bat up in the air, pulls his hat, and walks out. And the Met fans all applauded it. They applauded that fantastic strikeout. It was a great strikeout there. That's number two. Both of them were Kofax. And <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the guy sitting next to me, he says, "Well, he said, he says, you know, uh, Stallard's not doing so bad. Uh, after all, he's only he's only six strikeouts behind Kopax. Kopax has only got eight. Of course, uh, they struck out different guys. But uh... <laughs> well, anyway, you you want to hear what the old man did in the pool room? Well, I'll tell you. So this is a very interesting world there with that pool room. And he he came in and they're bowling, you see, and uh, Uncle Al and my kid brother and, and myself were bowling, and of course they're 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 playing their own game, you know. The two men are bowling, and the kids are bowling, and they're giving us tips. And once in a while we loft one of the you know lofting a ball. My old man really that's one thing I'll tell you. He never really was dis uh, disciplined. I didn't have much except for one thing. Believe me, my old man would rush up and kick me in a tender spot. The minute I started to loft the ball, he really would get rough on me. So I would run up there with the ball, you know, and a three-fingered ball. I'm trying to get get around it. Whoop, 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 whoop. And the ball would bounce, you know, three times, and then the and and I would feel this ten and a half on the back end there. And he'd say, "You do that once more, ball. Once more, and we're not going to finish the line. Once more. Now you do you loft the ball once more, and we are not finishing the line." I will continue to play myself, but you are not going to finish your line. Well, he meant it, you see. And, and uh, that was the quickest way I learned of not lost. Just like that. Just cut off your water. So, so my old man and Uncle Al and my, my kid brother and me were bowling. And it's about 10 o'clock. It's a hot August night. You know, it's one of those nights when people are drifting in and out. No, no league bowling. You could see a couple of serious bowlers down at the far end of the alley, and they're working on something. You know, they're really working on spares. They're real serious guys, and all kinds of different. And in the back there, you could see this great crowd of guys. There were hardly anybody bowling, but there was a great crowd of guys and a sort of blue smoke. 
and a lot of green lights and a lot of green velvet and green bays over there, you know, a lot of a lot of green velvet. And you could hear the clicking very loudly this night because it was a Friday night or a Wednesday night or something, and there wasn't much going on in the bowling alley, and it was practically silent. And in between the sounds, you know, of the balls hitting back in the in the alley, and boom! And then you'd hear that steady. That once in a while you hear some little muttering. Then you'd hear, yeah, you hear this cheer. Well, my old man keeps looking back over his shoulder. Well, we finished our three lines, and we get up, and we're on our way out. And suddenly, when we're just on our way out, we had the old man says to Al, he says, how about a couple of cues? Well, Uncle Al, of course, was another Chicagoan from way back. Well, Al, Al says, sure, fine. So we walk over into this thing, in this area now, and here, lined up against the wall, are all the racks, you know. They're all, all the pool people are all lined up. And there's about 75 guys all spread out, this great big area, playing pool of one kind or another, the stripper and everything else. And, and the old man hollers, hey, where's the rack boy? Little did I realize he was right in his element again. I mean, he was really with it. And, 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 and he became very different. He swore the rack, and he goes over and he starts looking at the cues. He picks up the cue. And up to this point, there'd been very little attention paid. You know, these guys just came up and play pool. So he reaches over and he picks up the cue. He takes the cue in his right hand and he looks at it under the light and then he goes, Ka-chum! he snaps it. He goes, Ka-chum! he snapped it once just to get the feel of it, you know. It made one snap and 75 heads turned. They could hear the sound of a master entering, entering the arena. Well, I didn't know anything at that point yet. So a kid comes over, a kid comes over, the, the rack kid, and he racks up the table. And the old man says, come on, come on, rack him up. He takes the rack, and he shows the kid how to rack him. The kid's been racking, like, for 94 years. You know, the old man takes the rack, and you can always tell a pool for Slaps that rack down, and he, he, he shakes. He loosens them up, and he lays it down there, and he lifts that, he lifts that rack up, and there they are. That kind of sitting there. And the old man says, uh, he says let's, let's just play a little bit. And he breaks. He's going around that table, and his eyes are like two little tiny steel His coat is off, and he's sweating. He is laying them in, one after the other, laying them in. Uncle Al is just sort of standing there, leaning on his cue, you know, looking kind of... <laughs> and, 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 oh, man, it's going back. Well, once in a while, you'd see these guys at the next table glancing over. And the old man is bringing them into the game. Little did I realize. The two guys at the next table say, Hey, how about how about a cue? How about you two? And they're starting to play pool. My old man, Uncle Al, and these strangers from the north side. Well, after about a half an hour of this, my father says, Listen, why don't you and Randy go home? Go on home. Three o'clock in the morning, I understand the next day, the old man arrived home with three times his usual paycheck. The old man had cleaned out four tables and three Sharpies from Ashland, Wisconsin. I'm telling you the truth. This is a true story. And my mother was shocked. She really was bugged. And the old man says, well, it was just for fun. We were just playing. She says, I told you, you you never, he never, by the way, he never gambled in his life. I never heard him bet on a horse, nothing. 
And as far as I know, as a kid, this is the last time he ever played for money. But you just can't stop once you start. Once you start looking at the sun, you can never look down.